Hey, have you ever had that experience where you are uh, driving down the highway at a normal, appropriate speed, and then you look in your rearview mirror and somebody is barreling down the highway behind you? And then you just have that thing overtake you where you get frustrated instantly. Like, who does this person think they are driving like a maniac on the highway? And, and then that frustration leads you to do this, perhaps, maybe just me, where you uh, line up with another car next to you that's going very slowly and you match your speed to their speed so that the maniac behind you can't pass. Anybody? Am I, a few of us are as bad as I am. And then maybe, just maybe, you have this other experience that happens where... Uh, finally you let them pass because you're nervous they're going to hit you. And as they pass by, you just, because you're such a loving, caring person, you pray for them. You pray for them and you pray, dear God, please let them get a ticket as soon as possible. In Jesus' name, amen, right? Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, probably all of us. Now, let me ask you another question. Have you ever been late to a really, really important meeting? And then that same feeling of like, I've got to get there, I've got to rush. And, and then you have the car that won't pull over, won't move to the, and you're, you know, waving your hands like crazy and they won't let you by. And, and you're, you know, hoping, please, dear God, don't let me get it. T-. Have you ever had that experience? Here's my point in saying that, that the way that we work as human beings, we tend to judge other people based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions, or on our unique circumstances that we're living inside of, right? Now, this isn't just with highway driving. This is just in relationships uh, among humans in general. The way that we treat each other, the way that we relate to other people is I often judge others based on what they do, and I expect that other people will judge me based on my motives, my intentions, or my unique circumstances. And Jesus today wants to talk about that. He wants to talk about uh, our own lives, but he wants to talk about our relationships. And, and so if you're just joining us, here's what we've been doing. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're not familiar with this, this is the most important teaching. I feel comfortable saying that. The most important teaching that Jesus ever gave. It's Matthew 5 through 7. And for the early church, this was the foundational document that really dictated how they saw their life in the world. And what Jesus is doing is fascinating. He's teaching us a whole new way to be human, a totally different way to live as a human on planet earth. And what's interesting is he's touched on every topic that he could touch on that relates to all of the the things that we experience in our lives. I mean, he's up to this point, he's talked about love for enemies and how we often want to treat people that we classify as our enemies. He's talked about anxiety. Last week, Pastor Sean did a phenomenal job unpacking this thing that we all struggle with in the West, anxiety. He's talked about lust He's talked about anger and marriage and divorce. And he's talked about uh, money and how we relate to it and all these other things. And today what Jesus is going to do is he's going to kind of up the ante a little bit more. And he's going to touch on one other thing that relates to human relationships. And he's going to address our judgmentalism. That's what Jesus wants to talk about today. The way that we judge other people. So let's jump in. There are three postures that you and I can take in human relationships, three different postures. And two of these three run contrary to the kingdom of God because he's turning everything upside down in his kingdom. There are two of these three that I'm going to give you that to follow Jesus, you can no longer keep living inside of. So here's the first one. The first posture is the posture of the judge, the judge. Look at Matthew seven, verse one. Here's what it says. Judge not words of Jesus, judge not that you be not judged. 
For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this is one of the most well-known sayings of Jesus, uh, one of the most uh, quoted teachings of Jesus, uh, both from people in the church, but also from people outside of the church. In other words, you don't even have to classify yourself as a follower of Jesus to know this verse. It's like a few verses that you have to know in Oklahoma are John 3.16 and this one, right? So that way, if anybody ever says, well, hey, you know, have you ever thought about this area of your life? You can go, ah, the words of Jesus, judge not, lest you be not judged, right? So this is one of those things that is thrown around all the time. And yet here's the reality. Most of us and most people in our city don't actually know what this means, It's an often quoted text that's hardly ever, ever obeyed. So let me just start out by saying what this doesn't mean. When Jesus comes to us and he says, hey, judge not, lest you be not judged. What he's not saying is that if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to somehow lose your ability to notice what is right from wrong. You have to somehow lose that ability. Like you have to lose all moral uh, understanding to follow Jesus. That's not what he's saying. In fact, we know this because did you catch that verse in Matthew 7 verse 6 where he says, hey, don't throw your pearls before pigs, before swine, right? And don't give what is holy to dogs. So he's actually saying that you need to understand who are dogs and who are pigs in his analogy and not throw what is holy before them. Now, that's a confusing, confusing verse, but the heart of it basically means this. There are people in our world that are are totally uninterested in following Jesus. And the heart of what he's saying is once you are able to spot that, don't cram it down their throat right? Don't cram it down their throat. Like if they don't want to follow Jesus, they don't want to follow Jesus. That doesn't mean that we somehow don't tell them about Jesus or whatever, but there's a difference between being honest about our love for Jesus and then cramming it down somebody's throat. So we know that to not judge doesn't mean that we lose the ability to spot right from wrong. We also know this because later on in a few weeks, he's going to talk about spotting false prophets, people that look like sheep, but are actually wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. People that uh, claim to be Christians, but what they teach is really, really terrible and against the heart of Jesus. So he's not saying to, you know, judge not lest you not be judged somehow means that you lose the ability to spot what's right from wrong. And one other thing, he's not saying that this is now your past, this trump card that you can throw down, that anytime someone addresses you on your behavior, anytime somebody says, hey, I want to point something out about your life or your emotion or the way that you respond, that you can then respond with, ah, 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 you can't say anything about me because Jesus taught that you cannot judge. That's not at all what Jesus was intending with this text. So what was he intending? What does it mean to not judge so that we will not be judged? Well, here's what he's addressing. He's addressing this reality where you and I become overly critical of other people. We become overly critical and we adopt this judgmental, condemning, hypercritical, nitpicky attitude to the people in our lives. This is what Jesus is addressing. Now, on the surface, that seems really easy to understand, right? Don't be hypercritical. Got it. Here's the problem, though. The problem is that this is often so hard to see and truly understand because of the nature of our culture right now. So let me, let me explain it like this. One of my favorite American authors is uh, David Foster Wallace. And David Foster Wallace, uh, he committed suicide. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. Heartbreaking story, but one of the most brilliant writers that, uh, that I've ever read. And he gave a speech one time at a university 
titled This Is Water. He later turned it into a little publication. And in that speech, he talks about two fish that are swimming together in the ocean. And as they're swimming in the ocean one morning, uh, an older fish swims by and he says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two younger fish kind of look at each other funny and then they keep swimming on. And then about a minute later, one of the younger fish looks at the other one and he says, What the heck is water? Now, the point in saying that is that fish don't know what water is because they're inside of it all of the time. You and I don't actually know the heart of what Jesus is teaching here, not because we can't wrap our heads around being judgmental or being hypercritical, but can I just point out that it's actually so pervasive, it's the air that we breathe. So none of you walked in this morning thinking, you know, one of the biggest areas of my life that's broken and needs to be fixed by Jesus is my hypercritical nature. Because we just are hypercritical people. It's the air that we breathe. We are condemning by nature. We are judgmental by nature. And if you don't believe me, just get up on social media for about 12 seconds. And what you'll realize is that we are so condemning towards one another. We are like actively hoping that those around us get justice when they do something that's wrong. But when we do something that's wrong, what we really want is grace and mercy. So we're so backwards here and it's hard to spot because it's just in our culture and it's especially sadly true oftentimes of the church. Hypercritical, judgmental attitudes. I mean, just think about this last week. How many times did you put the attitudes, the actions, the decisions, the emotions of other people on trial and then judge them? How many times did you do that this week? And then, let me ask you, how many times did you scrutinize your own behavior to the same degree? John Stott says this. He says, we have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. Indeed, what we're often doing is seeing our own faults in others and judging them vicariously. Isn't this fascinating? We have this tendency to blow up the failures the brokenness, the stupidity, the mistakes, the attitudes of other people. But then we don't scrutinize ourselves to the same degree. We lower and lessen those. Now, here's the question. This is something we do, but why? Why is it that we judge other people? Have you ever just sat down for a minute and tried to process your own heart? Why do I judge other people? And by the way, I'm assuming that all of you do this. So, you know, welcome to Frontline. Thank you for coming. We all do this. Right? So why is it that we do this? Well, let me just give you a few reasons. The first and the most obvious one is pride. Pride. When you feel superior to somebody else, maybe it's morally superior. Maybe you feel religiously superior. Maybe you feel politically superior. Financially, you feel superior. Whatever it is, when you feel superior to another person, you put yourself in a position where you are upper and they are lower. And you begin to look down on them and condemn them and judge them, right? I mean, how many of us, don't raise your hands, but you pull up to a stoplight and you see a bumper sticker to that specific political party that you can't fathom a logical human being would vote for that woman or that man. Like, how would they do that? And then all of a sudden, there's a judgment of character that happens. Like, it's not just that they voted for that person or support that person. It's like they're faulty by nature, right? Like I can't even fathom that a person would, am I the only one that does that sometimes? Like we, we judge based on political preference or financial realities or whatever it might be. 
It's because of pride. Now, that's the most obvious one, but if I'm honest with you, I don't think this is the most common reason why we judge other people. Here's another reason why we judge. We judge when we feel insecure. When you and I feel unhappy with who we are, a little bit insecure about a situation or a relationship or whatever, what often happens is we judge somebody else as a way of trying to feel security. Insecurity oftentimes is behind your condemning, hypercritical attitude. Another reason why we judge is because we're scared. We're scared. When you feel threatened or intimidated by somebody, one of the ways that you try to feel safe is by judging that person, by being critical of that person. It's a coping mechanism to deal with your fear. Another reason why we judge, and this one's really interesting, is because we're lonely. Now, that might sound weird to you. Like, how do I judge somebody because I'm lonely? Well, you you judge when you're lonely like this. If you are in a relationship with somebody and you don't necessarily feel really close to that person, it's really, really easy to rally together against somebody else where you like triangulate, right? And these two people, they sync up together and they, they build a friendship and a relationship based on the condemning realities of other people. Or we're going to get together so that we can be hypercritical. Or I feel lonely and I want to hang out with this person. So I'm going to step in together. We're going to be judgmental towards somebody else. Sometimes we judge because we're, we're lonely. And then another reason, there's many more, but another reason that's often common behind our judgment is jealousy. We're just jealous of other people. Sometimes you walk into somebody's house and you wish your house was like that. And so instead of like celebrating that they have a nice house, what you'll do is you'll go, I can't believe they're so frivolous with their money. I can't believe they're so unwise. Somebody pulls up in a car that you really want or like, you're like, man, they must be in so much debt. I mean, how dumb to just get consumer, they're just racked by consumer, you know, and all of a sudden it's like we're getting hypercritical of other people, not because what they're doing is necessarily wrong and we're assuming a whole lot. The reality is we want what they have. And so one of the ways we cope with that is we, we actually lash out with judgment and critical nature. This is really, really broken. Now, let me just point out the problems with this, this common way that we live on a day-to-day basis. The first issue is that it does obvious damage to those that we love in our lives, doesn't it? Judgmental nature and critical spirit can, can actually fracture relationships with other people. But the other thing that's behind this that's really scary, one of the bigger problems, is that this actually does damage to us. Did you know that when you are a critical person, and a judgmental person, and someone that's hyper nitpicky of other people, that oftentimes you are the one that's suffering the most. And here's how. Because behind each one of these reasons why we judge, insecurity, being scared, being lonely, being jealous, is actually pain that exists there. And what God wants to do is he wants to heal that pain and go to that pain. But instead what you do is you circumvent that reality of what God wants to do with you, and you just keep judging other people. And the pain is still there. You're just covering it up by being critical. This is something that he wants to deal with. And then, in fact, the ultimate problem, can I tell you, with being judgmental, is that God, very plainly, through Jesus, says, if you treat other people that way, that's the way I will treat you. You judge other people unfairly? Well, guess what? There's a judgment coming. You are really strict and harsh with other people's mistakes and failures? Do you want me to be that way? The way you judge, the way you measure out justice is the way that I will judge and measure out justice. John Stott says this. He says, not only are we not the judge, 
but we are among the judged and shall be judged with the greater strictness ourselves if we dare to judge others. And I love Frederick Bruner. He says, this is a strong argument for sympathy. (laughs) Some of you are like, give me a good reason to be sympathetic towards other people. Right here, right? Because God says, hey, the way you judge, that's how you'll be judged. So this is a strong argument for you and I to be overly sympathetic for the people in our lives. Because how you treat other people He's saying your experience in the world and ultimately of the justice of God will match that reality. So three postures. The first posture that you can take is the posture of a judge. Here's the second posture that runs contrary to the kingdom of God. You can take the posture of a hypocrite. The posture of a hypocrite. Uh, Look at the words of Jesus in verse three. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye or your sister's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there's a log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, what Jesus is doing here is going one step deeper. First, he says, you can take the posture of a judge, But then he goes another step deeper and he goes, you can also take the posture of a hypocrite. And here's what a hypocrite does. It's not just someone who judges, but what's even more worse about this situation is this person that's hyper, hyper critical of other people is somehow not self-aware of their own blind spots, of their own sin, of their own brokenness, of their own weaknesses. And so they've placed themselves in this position where they see the specks in everybody else's eye, but they're clueless about the reality of what's going on inside of them. This is really, really crazy. Isn't it crazy how often we can have crystal clear vision of everybody else's faults, but then we think about our own and we're like, we're basically okay, right? Anyone? No? Is this either hitting too close to home or it's just you you can't relate at all, right? I think it's hitting a little too close to home with a lot of us. And I love this analogy that he uses. It's so crazy. He's like, imagine somebody with a log in their eye trying to get a speck out of somebody else's. So just to help you with this, this is, in effect, what Jesus is saying, right? It's, it's someone who walks around, and they're like, oh, brother, you got something in your eye, and we really need to talk about that. I mean, honestly, here, could I, we need to have a confrontational meeting with you and point out some things that you may not even see. That's really embarrassing, actually. Like, everybody sees it but you. Get your act together here, right? Has this ever happened to you? Someone has done this to you? No? If, 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 if this has never happened to you and you don't have friends in your life that are like this, it's because you're the friend like this and we don't know what to tell you, right? It's like, have you ever had somebody correct you on something that you're like, bro, if you just literally listened to a tenth of what you just told me, your life would be totally different. And this is what Jesus is saying. Imagine if we walk up to people and we're like, I just got to preach to you and tell you and point out all this stuff. And the whole time they've got this protruding log out of their eye and they're trying to get a tiny little speck out of yours. Jesus is saying, do not be like that. Don't be like that. Let me uh, give you a recent example of hypocrisy. There's a really well-known pastor. I'm not going to tell you his name. Really, really well-known pastor and he uh, has some really amazing books and sermons and uh, really, really great. So let me just read a few quotes from this pastor. We should be offended and repulsed when God's image bearers are desecrated, when they're abused, beaten, neglected, discriminated against, and not loved and taken care of as they should be. 
his message. How dare we treat people with disrespect? We should treat people with respect. It's, it's great. Another quote. In healthy churches, the pastor's life, not just his words, set the tone for the church. Couldn't be more true. I totally believe that. Here's the third one. Be loving in conflict or be loving in frustration. Or let love command your every interaction because love never fails. Are all of these truths, are all of these quotes good and true? Yes, they all are. Can we get behind them all? 100%. They're amazing. This man pastored a very large church. He authored multiple books, including Lord, Change My Attitude and Christ-Centered Biblical Counseling. Those are two of the titles of his books. And yet, this pastor who uttered these exact words was recently fired for incredibly abusive behavior towards his staff. Not only that, but he's under investigation right now for severe financial mismanagement. He threatened to upload child porn on the uh, lead editor of Christianity Today's, uh, uh, on on his laptop because he said something uh, frustrating and hurtful towards this guy. So he threatened to upload child porn. And he's also under investigation for attempting to hire a hitman to kill his ex-son-in-law. Now you think, how many sermons did this guy preach about love and about forgiveness and about mercy and about, you know, treating people with respect? And yet, the disconnect is overwhelming, right? It's like he's preaching and yet, now I say all that to say, let me pause. Now that we're all judging this pastor, right? So we're all doing that. Um, let's, Let's like take a step towards us for just a second. That's him, and we look at that, and we hear stories like that. Like, how dare that guy? How could he? That's unbelievable. And yet, hold on. Before we start looking at the the log in his eye, let's also look at the log in ours. We celebrate the Me Too movement sweeping through our culture right now, rightfully so. And yet, we contribute to the sexual brokenness of our culture by viewing pornography. You celebrate when people get exposed for sexual brokenness but behind closed doors, you're filled with sexual brokenness. We judge certain pastors for spending lots of money on their clothing or their car or their house, and yet we spend our money the way we want without any thought or pause of what we're doing. We place certain demands and expectations on our children, and yet we have no intentions of ever being held to the same critical standard. We are appalled when we find out that someone else has been talking badly about us behind our backs. Appalled. How dare they? And yet we don't even think twice when we do this about other people. We listen to sermons thinking to ourselves, so-and-so really needs to hear this one, right? Being blind to the reality that maybe we're the ones that need to hear it the most. There's all these ways that we have logs in our eyes and we're judging other people. This is what Frederick Bruner called the law of critical gravity. He said, it's a law that we consistently undervalue the size of our own faults and we overvalue the size of others. This is something that Jesus wants to address. And Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, these are broken postures. If you want to follow me, these are postures that you can no longer maintain. If you want to come after me and step into my way of living, then you cannot continue in these postures of being the judge and being the hypocrite Something has to change. And he gives us a way out. He gives us a third posture that I want to have you consider. And this is the posture of a brother 
and of a sister. So he doesn't want us to be a judge, doesn't want us to be a hypocrite. He actually wants us to step in and be a brother or be a sister. Look at Matthew 7 verse 5. It says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What does it mean to be a brother or to be a sister and not a judge and not a hypocrite? Well, it means two things. Here's the first thing. It means that you and I need to take our own spiritual formation very seriously. Jesus says these words. He says, first take the log out of your own eye. So he's actually counseling us to do some healthy introspection. Not navel gazing, not like, woe is me, but just some healthy introspection where you invite brothers and sisters and people in your life, spouses, if that's applicable to you, people in your relationships, you pull them in and both with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the help of community, you ask the question, where are my blind spots? Where are the brokenness, uh, where are the broken places in my life? Where are the ways that, that I'm, I'm not living in line with the heart of God here? Where are the ways that are dysfunctional and how can I address those? And you do some serious work to take the log out of your own eye. See, everybody in this room either has a giant log sticking out of their eye, to use the metaphor, or all the way down to some of us have specks. And wherever you are on that spectrum, Jesus is inviting you to take your spiritual formation very seriously. He's saying, be active about the way that you address your own soul, about the ways that when you hear sermons, you're not hearing it for somebody else. Or when you listen to a podcast, it's not, here's so-and-so that needs to hear this. Or when you read a great book, it's not, what you're doing is you're owning the fact that you are taking your own spiritual formation very seriously. Doesn't mean that you do it by yourself. Doesn't mean you do it in isolation. You do this with community, with the help of the Holy Spirit. But growing in self-awareness is one of the biggest ways that you and I can take a couple steps forward in our following of Jesus, right? So take your own spiritual formation seriously. And it helps us to actually do the second thing. The second thing that it means to be a brother or sister, it means that we should take the spiritual formation of other people seriously too, We should take the spiritual formation of others seriously too because Jesus says these words. He says, take the log out of your own eye. Why? So that then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, Jesus isn't saying, just let the speck stay there. Like, have you ever had a speck in your eye? It feels really terrible, doesn't it? Uh, Several months back, I was power washing my back porch and I wasn't wearing goggles because nobody wears goggles when they do those things. And somehow, by power washing my back porch, a piece of concrete flew up and hit me in my eye. Scratched my cornea, and I thought I had a piece of concrete in my eye for like two days. It was horrible. And, and that did not feel great. It's not like Jesus is saying, hey, specks in the eyes are no big deal. No, he's saying logs in the eyes are really, really big deals that need to be addressed. But then, once you address that, go to your brother, go to your sister, and help them with their speck too. And this is what our culture really needs to hear right now, what we really need to hear right now, because you and I live inside of an only God can judge me culture. Thank you, Tupac, for that, right? Only God can judge me. Nobody can say that I'm wrong. In fact, the way that it is playing out right now is for anybody to tell you that you're wrong or they disagree with you means that they are not just disagreeing with the decision, but they hate you. They disapprove of you as a person. Everything about you is wrong. So we live in this culture that's like fragile, paper thin. Nobody can say anything to us. We freak out, we blow up, and we're unwilling to believe that we might actually have blind spots. 
What Jesus is saying is don't be that person. You're taking spiritual formation of yourself seriously. And as you deal with the log in your own eye, it actually gives you the vision and the ability to deal with other people's logs. Now, let me just say, there's a difference because um, for whatever reason, as a pastor, people feel the need to often point out the logs in my eyes. So I, it's God's grace ultimately on my life and I'm thankful for that. Um, but what's, what's, you can tell a difference when somebody sits you down that has also at one point in their life had a log in their eye and has carefully, with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of community, removed that log and done surgery on themselves. It's really, really profound when that type of person steps in and gives criticism or feedback or assessments or, or helps speak into your life because they do it with a level of gentleness and a level of concern and a level of care that on, only a surgeon would have that's done a lot of surgery. People that still have logs in their eyes, they're clunky in surgery. They don't know how to do it and they're just kind of rude and mean and it's amazing, isn't it? We're invited to be broken healers. People that have been under surgery under the hand of God and now are stepping in to help other people too. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. So let me end with this. How, how, do, we, how do we do this? How do we transition from being judgmental by nature to being people that can offer mercy? Because isn't it just hard? Like It's almost like our mind is running like an engine humming on in the background with criticalness, with nitpickiness, with judgmentalness, condemnation. How do we actually transition from that to somebody that can step in and offer mercy? Well, here's a story that Jesus gives that I think is really helpful in Matthew 18. Let me read it to you. You don't need to turn there. Here's what it says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, you're like, I have no idea what that means. A talent is a unit measurement of money. And this is an insanely high amount of money. A modern equivalent of 10,000 talents is $6 billion, right? So keep that number in your head, $6 billion that this servant owed the king. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. And that day they didn't have bankruptcy, so you would be sold into a debtor's prison where you would basically be in jail or whatever and working off your debt. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience on me and I will, I will pay you everything, right? Please don't send me to jail. I'll, I'll pay you all. I'll give it all. Just have patience on me. And look at this. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. And look at this. And forgave him the debt. He didn't just give him time to pay it. He released him and forgave $6 billion. Now look at the story. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is the modern equivalent of $12,000. $12,000. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
Now when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now there's a lot going on in that story, but here's the heart of it. Did you feel how ridiculous that story sounded? Like, who would do that? You couldn't honestly be forgiven of $6 billion and then hold somebody accountable for 12000 Right? Like that's, you couldn't do that. If you're forgiven of such a great debt, there's no way you would not step in and be a person of mercy. Now follow me here. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying. That when you and I truly encounter the mercy of God, when we deserve to be judged in hell for our sins, when we deserved to have the wrath of God poured out on us because we had lived lives of brokenness and disobedience and dysfunction and chaos and we've harmed other people in our lives and we've done things that are shameful and embarrassing and ultimately all of these things have been against a good God who has been calling to us the whole time and we've ignored him and we've done all these things and yet in his love and in his mercy, not only does he not judge us, but he sends his only son, Jesus, who lives the life that we couldn't live, dies on a cross, absorbing the full debt that we should have owed, that we should have paid. And instead of punishing us, he actually unleashes mercy and love and kindness and grace on us. And then he rises again and he adopts us into his family and he forgives us and he gives us a new identity. And he's had so much mercy. And if that God would have that much mercy on you and I, there's no way that we can continue to be people who walk around like the judge and walk around like the hypocrite. Just changes us slowly over time, but we become people who are more sympathetic. How could we not be more sympathetic when God has released us of all our crimes? All of them. We can't hold other people in ways that we don't want him to hold us. That type of mercy it, it allows us to be people who extend mercy instead of judgment. So this is Jesus' teaching on judgment. This is his way of how to live truly as a human in the kingdom of God. How are you going to respond to that?